All right, so, uh, so I'll tell you what, go ahead and turn your Bibles to uh, Genesis chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 16. Now, I told you earlier, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and tell you now what we're going to talk about. So we've been talking about Daniel, but we're not going to talk about Daniel today. We're going to talk about anger, okay, anger. And so, uh, so that's something that everybody in here has experienced. Maybe before you got to church this morning, if you had younger kids and they were delaying you, you, you may have experienced a little bit of that, right? And, uh, but that is something we've experienced. And I want to talk about that in terms of a biblical perspective on anger and how do we deal with it and how can we overcome that. And we're going to use the uh, uh, Genesis chapter 4 here as the, I call it the example, uh, as, as we talk about this particular topic, which is very important. So as I said before in the beginning, we, uh, we're going to experience uh, 4th of July's 246th birthday of our nation. And so I want to challenge you with something as we do this. I want to challenge you to think about where we are as a nation, not only as uh, American citizens, but as Christians, okay? Where are we in the church of the Lord today in terms of how do we handle things and what is our perspective? And we're going to talk a little bit about that. So what we're going to do is we're going to kind of go start high and we're going to get to the, to really to the meat of, the, meat of it as we read the scripture. So, so as we do that, just, that's just a challenge. Just think about that as we go through the scripture today. But in honor of God's word, please stand for the reading of the scripture. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now the man had relations with his wife, Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have begotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you. But you must master it. Verse 8. Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about that when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you, and you will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground and from your face, and I will be hidden, and I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. So the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. 
And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain so that no one finding him would slay him. And then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. May God bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. So I think if we were to, uh, as we watch the news today and we see what's going on in our nation, we see the chaos in, you know, many of our cities. There's lawlessness, which results in, in crime, increase in crime, protests, riots, and really just a total disregard for the things that are, uh, that are holy and righteous. People are angry, and anger is deeply embedded within the fabric of our culture today because of the wickedness of man's heart. People are literally losing their minds there's no civility in our public discourse. With a recent ruling from the Supreme Court regarding Roe versus Wade, those who support abortion have pled, pledged to use violence in their response. So violence and rage seems to be the norm. And it is evident, but we should not be surprised at this. We should not be overwhelmed at this, simply because... This has been predicted. If you read in Matthew chapter 24, verses 10 through 12, it says this. And Jesus is talking about the end times. And because he was asked by the disciples, what are going to be the signs of these things coming? And this is what Christ said. He said, at that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and mislead many. And this is key. Because lawlessness is increasing. And most people's love will grow cold. So there's this trajectory, there's this increase in lawlessness, this increase in, in hatred toward the things of God. And we see this happening in our nation today. So as we look at this story in the Bible about Cain and Abel, I want to really do a deep dive on, on this and see how we as Christians can respond. But if we look at this story, we find what anger leads to, okay? We have the first two verses there in verse 4, beginning in verse 1. We have there the, the birth of Cain and Abel. Now, now this is, uh, may not have been the first kids born to Cain and Abel, I mean, I'm sorry, to Adam and Eve, but it certainly was the first children mentioned in the Bible. And so you had Cain and Abel, and they were born to, to Adam and Eve, in uh, verses 1 and 2, and, uh, and they were given jobs. They were given things to do. Cain himself was a tiller of the ground, and uh, Abel was a keeper of the flocks. So as time went on, God asked Cain and Abel to give him an offering. And, uh, and as we find in the book of uh, Leviticus and uh, uh, Exodus, we find how God... Uh, gave more revelation in terms of those ceremonies and how that was to be done and, and the type of offering and the, the quality of the offering that was going to be done. And, uh, and he held Cain and Abel to the same standard, right? If you're going to give me an offering, I don't want your second best. I want your best. And herein lies the problem as we see it be, beginning to be developed. <clears throat> so, so in verse 3 there, 
He says, so it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. So we have Cain brought his offering. It was of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, uh, on his part, brought his offering. And it was the firstlings of his flock and their fatted portion. And and the Lord had a response to those offerings. And uh, on one offering, uh, he brought, uh, when uh, Cain brought his offering, it was done in a different, different way than Abel brought, when Abel brought his offering. So what did the Lord? It says that he, um, that the Lord had regard. And that, that term there in the Hebrew basically means that the Lord gazed upon or the Lord considered the offering that Abel gave. Okay? Now the, Cain that, the offering that Cain gave, the Lord did not consider. Why is that true? Why is that so? Because when we come to the Lord and we offer ourselves to God and we should do as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto him, which is our uh, reasonable act of worship every day, when we come to him, we should come to him with our very best. We should come to him surrendered. We should come to him uh, uh, anticipating the work that he's going to do in our hearts and lives and humbly before him, and with an attitude that says, not my will, but yours be done. But see, we have here in the scriptures a picture of two different offerings. One was accepted and one was not. And much of this had to do about the heart condition, because an offering was a sign of thankfulness and adoration to God. And, and Cain and Abel were required to do this. This was this was not optional for them. They were required to do this. And, and they had to give an offering of their perspective areas. Uh, you know, Cain, uh, you know, as far as the tiller of the ground, and then Abel as far as the, the livestock. Uh, and, and we have to give our best. So as we look at this, the question becomes, why did God respect Abel's offering but not Cain's? And I want to read in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. He says, the Bible says this, By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, though through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. You see, the offering given by Cain was less than, as I said before, what was required. And, and when God looked upon these two offerings, he saw Cain's offering is acceptable. I'm sorry, Abel's offering was acceptable when Cain's was, was not. So what happened to Cain's offering? Well, we know in Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10, it says this. It says, the heart is more deceitful than all else, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? In verse 10, it says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his way, according to the results of his deeds. It was more about the heart of Cain and Abel as opposed to the offering itself, although there were requirements. So God knows our heart. And when he, later on we're going to see when he confronted uh, 
Cain, he, he knew that Cain had anger. He knew that Cain had anger in his heart. And that anger was swelling up. That there was resentment. That there was jealousy. God could see the heart. And God knows our heart. You see, there are times in our life when uh, I know when I got back from, from Iraq in 2004, after my tour of duty, I, I was angry. Uh, I don't know why I was angry, but I was just angry, and I, and I seemed to express that anger. And God knew my heart. So you see, Cain's anger was a sin problem. That's what it was. It was a sin problem. The anger was a symptom of the sin in Cain's heart. And his uh, lack of, of honoring and serving God with the offerings that he had. And so God saw that. And what happened in verse 5 there? It says, Cain became angry. And this word in the Hebrew is a word that means to burn or to be kindled with anger. And God saw that anger seething in Cain's heart. And then in verses 6 through 7, he asked, he asked Cain, why are you angry and why is your countenance falling? So when God looked at Cain, he saw not only the interior of Cain, the condition of his heart, but he also saw the exterior. He saw his face. And his face was expressing, his, his emotions were expressing the rage that was building in his heart. But God gives him, I, I call this, God gives him an, an out. He basically gives him an opportunity here to, uh, to make the right decision. Okay? Because when he saw the condition of Cain's heart in his face, he realized what was what was happening. And God's, because of God's sovereignty, he actually already knew, right? He knew what was going to happen. But he wanted to, um, he wanted Cain to understand that. He wanted Cain to take responsibility for the anger in his heart. And let me just stop here and say one thing. If you're an angry person, because there's a lot of angry people in our world today, as I said before. Look at our culture, you know, uh, you know, used to there, there was a time when we would have a public discourse and, and you could debate people and, uh, you know, you could bring your uh, position up and you could debate and everybody respected each other and we understood people didn't always agree and, and you, were, you were actually allowed to share the gospel and, and without people going insane on you and, uh, you know, all those things were good, but that's not the way it is anymore. You know, I mean, I mean, you start sharing the gospel with someone and, and the, the, the anger that builds in their heart. So we have to understand that, uh, that we have to accept the responsibility of the anger that's in our heart. Now, I understand bad things happen, okay? I got it. Uh, you know, life is not fair sometimes. Sometimes it doesn't go according to plan. Sometimes people are mean to us. I got that. I understand that. I'm 60 years old. I've, I've, I understand. I've seen my fair share of angry people, right? Been angry myself before a few times, you know. But we have to take responsibility, and we're going to talk about that. And, and why do we need to take responsibility? Because, because sin 
is always crouching. Look in, in the latter part of verse 7 when he talks about, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, when he talks about there, uh, and if you, do not, if, you do, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. You see, sin was at the door of Cain's heart. It was there, and sin is at, is at the door of our hearts. And we are tempted in many ways. But I'm so glad that God has given us an out. He's given us a way forward that does not involve giving in to sin. And then one of my favorite scriptures, I love this scripture, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Many of you know that, right? And, uh, and it says this. It says, No temptation has taken over you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above, beyond that you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape so that you will be able to bear it. And so as, as Cain was facing that great decision, God was giving him an out. He was giving him a path forward that didn't include giving into the sin. And we have the same thing. So we can do two things. We can ignore our anger, coddle it, you know, it becomes our friend. It's kind of part of who we are, right? Or we can surrender it to God's grace and God's mercy and allow him to put into our hearts his love and his compassion. Now, that's, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more later, but it's impossible to do if you're not a Christian, right? So the first thing is you've got to have a right relationship with God, and that's through confession, confessing Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. So here's Cain. So he's got sin crouching at the door. And by the way, this has the uh, uh, mental picture here in the Hebrew language of, of a, a lion about ready to attack. He's crouching. It's, it's laying down. It, it has the mental image of, of this lion fixing a pounce on someone. And this is exactly what's going to happen here to, uh, to Cain, is that, that he was going to give in to this. So he was there. And God was trying to give him a, a way out. But there's two things that we got to understand. I want to kind of take a, take a little side road here. You know, a good sermon uh, never goes without a, a detour, right? <laughs> and so... Uh, so we're going to, I want to talk about the two kinds of anger because it's important that we understand that there are two kinds of anger in Scripture, right? There's uh, righteous anger and there's unrighteous anger, and I want to talk about those two. So first, there's unrighteous anger. Now, what is a great example is, is you all know this, in Matthew 21, verses 12 through 13, it says, And Jesus entered the temple, and he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. So what did Jesus do here? He, he uh, demonstrated or displayed righteous indignation. What is righteous indignation? It is an anger toward wickedness and injustice according to God's standards. You see, righteous anger is, is an anger that results in 
people disobeying and people um, using the righteous and holy things of God for their own benefit. And this, this activity that we read about here was taking place in the inner court of the temple, right? And the temple was the place where God resided. It was the place for the temples. If you read about that in the book of Exodus, you know, where, where uh, Mo- Moses is, God has given instructions to, uh, to Aaron to, on how to deal, build the tabernacle. You see the presence of the Shekinah glory of God, the God's presence there in the temple. And so this was a great offense to Christ. It was, it was horrible that they were doing this. And he was greatly offended. And his offense and his anger was not, toward, was not a hatred anger. It wasn't geared toward having uh, people, uh, you know, murdered or anything. It was an anger that was geared toward restoration of God's holiness and, and, a, and an anger toward the disregard for God, God's truth and his, and his instructions in terms of the temple and his presence in the temple. So I think there are basically four or so uh, principles that we can learn here regarding righteous anger. The first thing is that in Ephesians 4.26, the Bible commands us to be angry, but not to sin. Now, how is that? That sounds like a contradictory in terms, doesn't it? Well, righteous indignation is fine, right? You, you see things that are repulsive. You know, you see the riots and all the things, all the protests, uh, you know, for the, for the people who adhere to abortion, they support abortion. You see all those protests, and, and you wonder in your mind, how in the world can anyone agree that this child who's inside the mother's womb is not a living being with the technology that we have today? It's very apparent, very obvious. We can track that, you know, medically. How can you not... Uh, agree that that is that is killing that innocent child but 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 people are not you know they don't think about that they're so intent on on disobeying God's word so intent on doing what they want to do it becomes about them so that is okay to get angry about that but we have to be careful because sometimes in the human perspective when, I, when we get righteously in and indignant that can result in pride in us we can begin to feel more self-righteous you know i'm a christian i'm better than you are when we're all saved by god's grace now we are we've recipients of god's of christ imputed righteousness we got the righteousness of god positionally but in practice we still struggle a lot right so when we do this we have to do this with humility in Hebrews 12, 14 through 16, it says this. It says, pursue peace with, with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springing up cause trouble and by it may be defiled. We are to conduct ourselves as a good example to the lost by, by pursuing sanctification. You see, when, sancti- when the pursuit is sanctification, pride has no room, right? If you're, 
If your goal in your life is to pursue the sanctification of Christ, to be all that God wants you to be, to be that person that God has called you to be, to be that person that, that Christ died for you to be, then there will be new, no room for pride. And you know what pride results in many times? Anger. Because what does pride say to anger? Or how does, pride, how does anger turn uh, into pri- from pride? It does so because in pride, I'm the most important person, and you're not. When you're proud, my opinion matters most, and yours does not. When you're proud, it is hard to humble yourselves before God and repent of your sins. So we are to understand that we're to be angry, but not to sin. And then righteous anger is not self-serving. It is a response to the violations of God's holy moral law. And righteous anger should always be tempered with love. Not your love, okay, because I got love. I got my human love, and it's all got conditions assigned to it. It's kind of like I'll love you if, right? And so we don't want that kind of love. We want God's love. We want that agape love, that love that, that is pure and innocent, is without, uh, it's not self-seeking, Right? And uh, so that's the kind of love we want. So, so the, but there's also uh, one other thing about um, righteous, righteous anger is the focus of righteous anger is always restoration and repentance. Okay, it's always restoration and repentance. When I have righteous anger, my goal is that I want that person to be right before the Lord and I want that person to repent. Okay, so it's all about the other person. And then the second uh, uh, type of anger is what we call unrighteous anger. Now, the focus of unrighteous anger is destruction and vengeance. That's the focus of unrighteous anger. And this is the kind of anger that, uh, that we saw in Cain. Because that kind of anger is the anger of the flesh. In Galatians 5, 19 through 21, we see this. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. In verse 21, there envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, which I forewarn you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if that's our way of life, if, that's your way, if that is your way of life, outburst of anger and all these other things that we just mentioned, then, then you will not inherit the kingdom of God. I didn't say that. God said that. And so he said, but then in verse 24, he says this. He says, but those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And then he says in verse 25, he says, we live by the Spirit we should also walk by the Spirit. So what are the principles here? Number one is when we as Christians have unrighteous anger, we do so because we are living in the flesh. You see, let me explain something. When God saved you, he saved you completely. Okay? Positionally before God, when God looks down and he sees you, he sees someone who is completely righteous and completely holy. Amen? I mean, that's what God did. That's what that, when I say imputed righteousness, it's like, 
you know, the righteousness of Christ, the death that he uh, experienced on the cross and burial and resurrection, all that, all his righteousness was given to us. Not because we deserved it, not because, you know, we worked hard and got better along as time went along and we finally arrived. No, it was all because of the work of Christ. And while we were dead, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so, so that's how we got it. So, but, but no matter that of our position with Christ, we also have our practice. And there's, there's a war that goes on inside of us on a daily basis. And Paul talks about this principle in Romans 7, 21 through 23. And this is what he said. He said, I find then the principle that evil is present in me, one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. And that's the, the regenerated man, the man that's been sanctified and regenerated. But I see a different law. So here, here we go. Here's this different law that's, that's present. In the members of my body, waging war, with, uh, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. So what is Paul talking about? We know in 2 Corinthians, we're told in 5.17, we're told that therefore if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away, and be all, behold, all things have come, become new. But even though the old things have passed away, we still have this flesh, this exterior that has desires and has passions and, and all these things that are contrary to the holiness of God. And this is our struggle, and this is what Paul was talking about. So we can have unrighteous anger. It is possible. And we have to fight against that. We have to uh, allow God to, to give us wisdom and understanding as we uh, think about that. And then the second principle here is that unrighteous anger is inwardly focused, as I said before. And unrighteous anger, thirdly, does not produce righteousness. In James chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, it says this. That you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. You getting mad at somebody and telling them what's on your mind and what you think about them does not achieve the righteousness of God. What, what is the only thing that can achieve the righteousness of God is the righteousness of God. Very simple, right? The only thing that can achieve the righteousness of God is the righteousness of God. Now, how do we do that? Through submission, through admitting, right? And we're going to talk more about that later. But let's go on. So in verse 8, uh, we see that, that Cain and Abel have a meeting uh, and he uh, says that Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about that when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and he killed him. So, um, so Cain killed Abel. He gave in to the temptation. He gave in to the anger, and it resulted in the death of his brother. So why did he do that? Well, it tells us in 1 John chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. 
he said this. He says, by this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. For what reason did he slay him? And this is the key right here. Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Why do we have anger in our heart? Why do we harbor anger? Why, why is it that, that, that it seems like we get up mad and we go to bed mad? Because there's evil in our heart. There's, our deeds are evil. And God has given us a great substitute. He's given us a savior that has gone to the cross and given his life so that we don't have to be slaves to sin anymore. What a great thing. So he, so Cain obviously kills his brother in verse 8. And then the Lord uh, approaches him and says, where's, your, where's Abel, your brother? Although it's a rhetorical question, you already knew. And he said, I don't know. He said, am I my brother's keeper? Which is kind of a, kind of a, a smart aleck remark. Uh, kind of one of those things that our kids may say to us when they're younger. You know, kind of being smart aleck. And, uh, and, he, and he says that. <clears throat> and God points it out. He says, the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you're cursed. So, so this is uh, an additional curse to one that Adam had uh, in the earlier part in, ver in chapter 4 of, of uh, Genesis. If you remember, Adam, the ground was, was cursed because of the sin, because of the fall. And this is, uh, I, I guess, another level of that. But he, he cursed, so he gave basically Cain two curses. One was a curse of his labor because, uh, look what he says here. Uh, in verse 12, he says, when you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. And then the second thing he cursed was his position or his status. He said, uh, you know, you've you got a stable home here. You're doing good things, but we're going to send you away. And this is very important that we understand this. So this is what he says. He said, he said uh, not only when you cultivate the ground, it's not going to yield its strength to you, so it's not going to produce the same crops that, uh, that you had before, uh, but you're going to be a vagrant and a wanderer. And Cain said to him, and this is where we see the graciousness of God. I mean, it just blows me away, the graciousness of God, even toward Cain, even though... He just did a heinous act and killed, killed his brother. He says, my punishment is too great. Behold, I have driven you, excuse me. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground and from your face, and I will be hidden. I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. Now, let me let's stop here real quickly and talk about what is a vagrant and a wanderer. Okay, this guy was basically going to be homeless. That's, that's what it means. He's going to be wandering around. And, uh, and he's going to be wandering around the earth, and he's not going to have a stable home. He's not going to have a stable job. And he's just going to have to do the best he can, you know. So he went from being, you know, fellowshipping with the Lord, and uh, uh, even though his deeds were evil and his hearts were, were, were evil, we find in this particular 
time in, in, uh, in history that God was still communicating directly between people, but that will be no more. He's going to be sent out. And, uh, and so God gives him uh, grace and mercy. He's going to be a fugitive, um, and he's going to be exiled into the land uh, of Nod. Now, uh, if you look on a map, you're not going to find the land of Nod. Because I, I tried that. But I did realize something, that this is really not a place. I mean, it could be, right? I mean, wherever, wherever uh, Cain went, it was called the land of Nod because it's the land of the wanderer. So here's this guy, Cain. He's wandering out in the desert, you know, you, uh, and all the other people see him. There's, there's a lot of people on earth at the time. And they see this guy, and it's, oh, that must be Cain because he's just kind of wandering around, you know, not, not really having a purpose in life. And, uh, and so, so this place, Nod, was really more of an existence than it was a place. Now, what is the, the lesson to be learned here? Anger. Anger will make you a wanderer and a vagrant to the people around you. You see, some people here have a problem with anger and you express it and you have alienated yourself from your family and from those who love you because of your anger and you're a lot like Cain you're just kind of wandering around okay wherever you go you're wandering and you don't have a real purpose and your anger has consumed you and has impacted your family. So God brought his judgment on Cain in verse 16. And then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and he settled in the land of Nod, as we just read. So that's what God did. All right, so in the last two minutes or so, I'm going to have to go through this pretty quick, but, uh, but I want to just quickly give you some, some ideas from the Bible on how can we overcome anger? How can we overcome anger? The first thing is we have to admit our anger, and we can't conceal our anger. In Proverbs 28, 13, it says this, He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he, w- he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. In John 1, 9, we, we confess to God. Uh, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And the second thing we have to do is we have to love. Did you know that love is one of the greatest uh, uh, things that we can do to show our forgiveness? How did Jesus forgive us? Did he forgive us because he didn't like us, because he didn't think we deserved it? He forgave us because his love for us was greater than our evilness. His love for us was greater than our humanity, than our humanness, our fallenness. It was, it was greater than that. So we have to, we have to love. In 1 John 4, 7, 3, it says, We must first love God to love others. We are commanded, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And the one who loves 
The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And then this, the third thing is, we have to submit ourselves to God. In Romans 4, 7 through 10, it says, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep, and let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you in due time. So we should be sorrowful. And then the last thing that we need to do, folks, is make reconciliation. Make reconciliation. Let me read this scripture. So in Matthew 5, 23 through 24, it says this. Therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go and first be reconciled. And that word reconcile in the Greek means to change the relationship, to make the relationship right again. And we were reconciled to God through Christ. When we got saved, what happened was that we were reconciled to God. That relationship that was broken, that relationship that did not even exist, was made reconciled to God. And that's what we need to do is to make sure that we're reconciled. <clears throat> In uh, 2 Corinthians 5.18, it says this, Now all these things are from God, who reconciled, restored to favor us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So see, if you're dealing with anger today and you know there's things that you've done wrong and you haven't dealt with it, you're not being a very good minister. Because he said we're, gonna, we're supposed to God's called us to the ministry of reconciliation. Why is that? Because we've been reconciled with God. So who are we to withhold from other people or even from ourselves the the act of reconciliation? Now, that doesn't mean that that person that that you angered or that person that you have a a bad relationship with is going to reciprocate, okay? But it doesn't matter whether they reciprocate or not. God didn't say go do this as long as they reciprocate. It does not matter. What matters is that God has commanded us to go and make reconciliation. Okay? So, so in closing, I want to say this. I want to challenge everyone here today to deal with your anger. I really do. I want to challenge you. I think the Bible is very clear on, on what we said today about how we're supposed to handle that. But as you leave this building today, I want you to think about that. And either today or as soon as you can or sometime during the week, ask God to, to, to give you the strength to go to that person that you've had an a adversarial relationship with for many, many years and ask God to restore that relationship. Because Cain had a choice. We have a choice. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you so much for your word that's so clear about what we need to do with the anger in our hearts, God. And I thank you that Jesus is the greatest example of, of not only loving, but of, of having compassion. 
Lord. Even, even the Sadducees and Pharisees he had sorrow for, and even them he died for. So, Lord, help us not hold back. God, help us to admit our anger. Help us to um, acknowledge it, Lord, and do what it takes to make reconciliation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.